Uh, last Sunday, we saw John introducing Revelation, but he began by telling us where it comes from. He talked about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the fact that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega and that he is coming. So he was establishing the authority of revelation, that it is the word of God and we need to take it that way. The second part of chapter 1, John begins by introducing himself. And he introduces himself as one of us. He says in verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. That's how he introduces himself. So he wants us to know not only that this revelation comes from the Lord, that this is God's word, but that he is one of us. As you read Revelation, you need to realize that the person that was given this revelation is one of us. He is our brother in the Lord. He was waiting for the Lord just as we are waiting for the Lord. He endured suffering patiently just as we endure patiently. So he identifies with us, but as he writes this, he is identifying with the Christians who are going through persecution and suffering and are asking whether God is in control. They are tempted to lose hope. And John is saying here, I am one of you. It is Sunday, the day of the Lord. John, on this day, he would be worshiping with his brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus because that was the church that uh, he would attend. But instead, he's banished in a lonely island surrounded by a choir of lizards and snakes and other reptiles. John is at uh, a very discouraging moment. He is facing one of his lowest moments in life. He is aged. He's about 95 years old. He's far away from his friends and his family. He has served the Lord with all his heart. He's the last apostle. All the other apostles have died. Others have been killed. He has been persecuted. And he's really feeling the pain of being a Christian here. He has every reason to blame the Lord. He has every reason to lose hope. As a pastor, as an apostle, he's concerned about other Christians because he knows what is coming on their way. And on this Sunday, in this discouragement and almost despair and fear, the Lord appears to him. The Lord appears to John 
not only to give him revelation, but also to minister to him, to encourage him, to assure him that he remains in control. And John hears a voice. He hears a voice, a loud voice like a trumpet telling him, write what you see and send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I said last Sunday here, number seven is a number of completion. The seven churches here represent all the churches. Write this. He hears this loud voice and he turns to look at where the voice is coming and what he sees makes him faint. He says, when, when he turns to look in verse 12, when I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands, the lampstand was someone like the son of man. This is the same vision that Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 talks about. Where Daniel sees the Lord in his glory and he calls him the son of man. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. It was like the son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. John is seeing this and is describing it to us the best way he can. The hair on his head was white like wool and as white as snow, and his eyes, his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, referring to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. He's describing Jesus in his glory. John had an opportunity to see Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration when his, his robe became white and his face was shining and Elijah and Moses appeared with him to encourage him. John, Peter, and James had a, a glimpse of his glory there. But what he sees here is something else. What he sees here is beyond what he could have imagined. Jesus is now in his full glory, the glory that he had emptied himself from when he came to the world. And John turns and he sees him. See, John, even though he was in this island suffering because of his faith, there is something very important that we need to know. In verse 10, he says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. So that tells us that he did not stop worshiping, even though he was banished for God's word 
and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was banished because of his faith in the Lord, because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He did not stop worshiping. And as he was in the spirit, the Lord allowed him to see these things that he is seeing right now. And he says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord in his glory. He saw the Lord in his glory and he said, too bad for me. I am undone. Other version says, woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips. Woe unto me, for I am a sinner. Paul, before he got saved on his way to Damascus, he saw Jesus in his glory when he appeared to him and that brightness blinded him. And Paul fell down blinded, crying out, Who are you, Lord? Isaiah had not seen the resurrected Jesus Christ because Jesus had not yet died. Paul saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Isaiah was waiting for Christ to come and die. Isaiah needed to be cleansed. And when he saw and cried out, a seraphim, a heavenly being came and cleansed him from his sin. Paul needed to be saved. He didn't know the Lord. That's why he cried out, who are you, Lord? But John, John knows the Lord. John had spent three years of his life with Jesus Christ. He saw him before he died and after he died. He saw him ascending to heaven. John does not need cleansing. John needs assurance. He needs to be encouraged here because of the pain, the persecution, and everything that he is facing because of his faith. And therefore, as he faints, when he saw him, he says in verse 17, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Now it is easy to think that Jesus is telling John not to be afraid of what he is seeing. I don't think that's what he's telling him not to be afraid of. I don't think John is afraid of what he's seeing. Because when he sees him, he describes him to us. And as he describes him, it becomes so overwhelming to him. And he falls on his feet in a worshipful posture. When Jesus tells John... Do not be afraid. Jesus is addressing John's deepest need. 
And those words apply to all of us. I don't know if you have realized, but Christians are among the most afraid people. Christians are so afraid. When anything happens, you will hear Christians beginning to say, it's the end of the world. When COVID happened, there were so many prophecies that came out. Christians have every reason to have confidence. Every reason. Because we are assured that our God is in control. I don't think we believe that. I don't think we are convicted by that truth. That regardless of what the leaders of this world can do, and regardless of what they will do, our God will still be in control. And if he is in control, then it is, a, it is his agenda that will happen and no one else's agenda. See, Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, others might as well join us. Because our God is a powerful God. John sees this Jesus Christ. He describes him to us and he gets to a point where he, can, he cannot do it anymore. And the only thing that he can do is fall at his feet and worship him. And the Lord looks at John and he knows what John is going through. He knows what he has gone through. He knows what other Christians are going through. And he looks at him and he tells him, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. He's telling John, John, don't be afraid. I am in control. I have the keys of life and death. That's what he's telling him. He's addressing his deepest need. What is it that makes you afraid? What is it that you fear most? Because the thing that you fear is the thing that controls you. That which you fear most is what controls you most. And Jesus Christ in his glory here assures his apostle. Don't be afraid. Let me just read what he says so that you may not go and say this is what Pastor Valerian said. He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. John, I started with you, I will finish with you. In verse 18, I am the living one. 
In me there is life. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and heads. Heads is a place for the dead. Jesus is telling John, anything that can make you afraid, anything that you are afraid of, anything that may make you want to run away, when it comes to me, it is done. That I am the end of all your fears. That's what he's telling John. I am the end of all your fears. What makes you afraid? What is it that you fear most? What is it that when you think about it, you fear? And Jesus continued to tell John, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. And then he tells us about the mystery of the seven stars. He says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus breaks that down for us. The seven angels of the seven churches here, theologians don't agree. I think the seven angels here of the seven churches are the leaders of those churches because they are the ones who are supposed to receive. John is supposed to give them this revelation so that they can read it to their people. And that there's nowhere in the scripture that the Bible talks about the angels being on God's hand either. In fact, the only place that uh, God talks about uh, uh, people being on his hands is when he talks about believers. You see this in John chapter 10, verse 27 to verse 30, where Jesus says, no one can pluck my sheep out of my hand. There's no place the angels are in God's hand. And the angels don't receive messages from human beings either. So there's no way John will bring a message to an angel. Usually it's the other way around. Just like Mary giving a message to Gabriel about the birth of Jesus Christ. We didn't get that, but that's fine. Of all the fears that you may have, it is the fear of God that we need. It is the fear of God that we need. The fear that Jesus is addressing here 
is the fear that will want to keep us away from the Lord. And you know, God is not a monster that we should run away from. God is not a Godzilla that when we see him, we want to escape. The fear of God does not make us want to run away from God. The fear of God is the profound awareness of who God is that creates in us a desire to want to please him. Let me repeat that. It is the profound awareness of who God is that creates in us a desire to want to please him. When you fear the Lord, your desire becomes to want to please him. And the more you know the Lord, the more you fear the Lord. The more you fear the Lord, the more you worship him. The more you worship him, the more you want to serve him and to glorify him in your life. The reason we are having issues in churches, in schools, is because there is no fear of God. You take away the fear of God, everyone will do what they want. And I think the enemy wants us to stop fearing the Lord so that we can be afraid of any other thing that he brings to us. That's why Christians who have not yet realized that the greatest fear they should have is the fear of the Lord, they end up fearing everything. They hear this, they are afraid. They hear this, they are afraid because the fear of the Lord is not in their hearts. When you realize that God is powerful, that he is in control, and that he has an agenda that he's going to accomplish, that he is the first and he is the last, that he holds the keys of death and life and choose to fear him, nothing else will matter to you. Nothing else. The fear of God will cast out all other fears. What makes you afraid? What is it that the enemy makes you fear more? Is it death? Jesus has the keys of life. Is it Loss of a job? What is it? Is it sickness? What is it that uh, the enemy makes you afraid of? Because fear does not, this kind of fear does not come from the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is not the end of wisdom. It's just the beginning. That means you start fearing him. You start becoming wise. 
And when you become wise, you will start realizing and understanding the enemy's schemes. You will start seeing through him. You will start noticing when things are happening in your life, you will be able to tell this is not the Lord. This is the enemy. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. That's the best place you can be. That's the safest position you can be in. Because the fear of the Lord casts out all other fears. What is it that you fear most? How, how would you gauge your fear of the Lord? How, how would you, in a, in a scale of one to ten, where is your fear of God? In a scale of one to ten. If Jesus is not yet your friend, you probably don't understand what it means to fear the Lord. Because when you look at the culture that we are living in, culture that promotes ungodliness and discourages those who want to be godly, when you look at this culture, the fear of the Lord is not something to be admired. It's not something to be encouraged. And therefore, if you are not saved, this may be something that you still don't understand. Because you really don't understand how big this God is. And if God is not as big in your life as he should be, there will be things in your life that will give you problems. If your God is small, your problems will appear to be bigger. If your God is bigger, your problems will shrink. Because when you see anything from God's perspective, you will realize that God is bigger than anything. That's, that's what happened with David when he saw Goliath. So if you are without Jesus Christ in your life, just think, consider the day you will stand before him in his glory. Consider the day, the day you will face him in his glory with all the power that he has. And by then it will be too late for you. Because he is giving you a chance now. 
He's using his word to show us how great he is. But he's also giving you a chance to respond to his invitation. And so if Christ is not yet your savior, I will encourage you that you take a moment and turn to him, sorrowfully ask him to forgive you and to save you. I think John here, when he sees Jesus, and he is writing this down, trying to, to describe him to us, he gets to a point where he is overwhelmed by his greatness, but also he's probably asking himself, why was I afraid? Why was I worried when I was going through all this difficulty? Why was I afraid? And he falls down in that conviction to worship him. And Jesus comforts him with those words, don't be afraid. The same word he used when the disciples were were in the boat and, and they saw him walking on the water and they thought it was a ghost and they cried out and Jesus said it is I don't be afraid and he is saying the same words to some of us today don't be afraid are you looking at the future and it seems like things are getting worse? Are you looking at your health and there is no hope? Are you looking at your grandchildren or your children and feel that the enemy has a field day in their life? Don't be afraid. Do you know why? Because Jesus is the first and he is the last. Nothing, nothing will happen without him being in control. He wants you to have confidence in him. Let your greatest fear be the fear of death. Of all the other fears, the fear of the Lord is the greatest.